This is Tailgate Till May. If you love college sports and you like to have a little action on the games, then this is the place for you because I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I love both of those things too. Welcome back to another edition of the show. Excited to be here today, and I was planning to really dive deep into hoops this week. I was like, okay, football season's over. We have a national champion. Michigan's it. It was a great season. It was a great playoff. But we're done. It's time to move on to hoops because we have so much yet to be determined in this college basketball season. And it was a wild week in college basketball, too, as four of the top five teams go down. But the greatest college football coach of all time shocked the world is maybe a little bit strong, but surprised the world on Wednesday and decided that he was going to retire. Nick Saban retires from football and that of course is where I have to start so Nick Saban the Alabama job all of that is what's going to take precedent today going to have a little bit of college hoops here at the end of the show because it was a wild week and we do have a big weekend ahead but Alabama the Alabama job is open it's 3 20 p.m eastern time on Friday January 12th as I record this right now and nothing has officially been announced but it does look like Kalen DeBoer, Washington's head coach, is likely going to be the next head coach at Alabama. Actually, two minutes ago, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN just tweeted that Washington has called a team meeting for 1.30 Pacific time, so 4.30 Eastern time. So uh, by the time you hear this, Kalen DeBoer may be the head coach at Alabama. But I want to start with Nick Saban because I do believe that he is the greatest college football coach of all time. And it was a crazy week because we saw Nick Saban retire. We saw Bill Belichick part ways with the Patriots. We saw Pete Carroll part ways with the Seattle Seahawks. And those three football coaches have had a huge impact on the last 20, 30 years of college football, both at the pro and college level. And to to see all of those guys either retire or at least not be with the team that they've been with for a very long time, in the case of Carroll and Belichick, is really shocking. And it kind of just makes you reflect on what you've seen as a fan how these guys have changed the game, how they've impacted the game, and what a big part of your football life they've been. And Alabama, Nick Saban, they've been, for anybody, I'm turning, I will turn 35 in March. For anybody around my age, a little younger, even a little older, Nick Saban and Alabama have been synonymous with the top of college football. This 17-year run that he's been at, the 17-year run that he's been on with Alabama, I can't think of one like it. We spend so much time, so much energy talking about the great Miami teams, whether it's the Miami teams of the 80s, whether it's the Miami teams of the early 2000s. But those Miami teams, they would go on like four, five-year runs. We're talking about a 17-year run of sustained success at the absolute highest level by one program under one coach. And I'm not saying those Miami teams don't deserve to be talked about, that they're, they don't hold a very special place in the, the hearts and minds of college football fans because they absolutely do. But we talk about those teams 
those dynasties like they were the greatest thing ever like they would were gonna go on forever but they were so short they weren't around that long i mean you look at any of these national championship winning teams these little mini dynasties mini eras and none of them compare to what alabama did under nick saban over the last 17 years and if you listen to the show you know i like facts i like numbers so i started looking into some facts looking into some numbers uh, over the course of this week and alabama is so interesting to me because i would say i really started watching college football becoming aware of college football in probably like 1996 and 1995 something around then uh you know i was young then early elementary school as i got into middle school high school college beyond that i i my knowledge of the game grew uh my appreciation for the sport as a whole watching it from coast to coast kind of grew but college football is something as long as i can remember I loved waking up and watching college game day and watching whatever game was on, right? And I didn't grow up in a college football hotbed. I'm not of the SEC, although I have a deep appreciation for the SEC, especially having lived in Atlanta for a long time and going, traveling around to a lot of these uh, a lot of these campuses, a lot of these cathedrals of college football. I have a lot of respect and appreciation for the SEC, but I'm not of the sec i grew up a maryland fan i grew up in maryland that's not college football country per se it's nfl country it's college basketball country so i say all that to say when i was becoming aware of college football when i became a college football fan in the mid 90s when i was very young alabama was not very good I remember as a kid watching college game day and then being in Tuscaloosa and I didn't really quite grasp why they would be in Tuscaloosa. To me at the time, the late 90s, early 2000s, the teams that I grew up with, the teams that I thought of as the preeminent kings of the sport, Florida State, Miami, Florida, a little later USC, but it was those Florida schools to me were the ones that felt like the kings of the sport. Tennessee, even. Tennessee and Florida, to me, that was like the rivalry. That was what I looked forward to. It was an early season match every year. Uh, Steve Spurrier, Philip Fulmer, yeah, Peyton Manning on the Tennessee side, T. Martin, uh, Steve Spurrier always had gunslingers at Florida, Danny Werfel. There were, that was the matchup, right? So I didn't understand kind of all the tradition and the history at Alabama when I was very young. And then when I was starting to really start to understand college football, they weren't very good. Between 1997 and 2006, that's the 10 years before Nick Saban arrived at Alabama, Alabama was under 500 in the SEC, 39 and 41. So I think for me, when I think about Nick Saban, I think I might have a different appreciation. I think those around my age and, and a little, and certainly those older have a different appreciation for what Nick Saban did at Alabama than somebody who is 25 right now. And since they were eight years old, or since they were nine years old, 
Alabama has been really on this run. Uh, so that is just what I think is special about Nick Saban and, and this run that he has been on is that Alabama has a great tradition. They're one of the blue bloods of college ball, no doubt. Bear Bryant was a great coach there. They were a national championship winning program. They have a rabid fan base, but they were not living up to their reputation. They were very much like Tennessee has been. They're very much like a lot of programs who have a great history for a long time between 1997 and 2006 under 500 in the sec. And then Nick Saban shows up on campus. Nick Saban shows up in Tuscaloosa and he was there 17 years. And that man over 17 years went 121 and 18 in the sec, 121 and 18. He finished in the top 10 of the AP poll every single year he was there except for his first. So from 2008 to 2023, Alabama finished in the top 10 of the AP poll. They won six national championships while he was there. For a while, anybody who went to Alabama and stayed four years, played on that team, won a national championship. That was for a, for a very long time. That was true. So it's not like Nick Saban just walked into a place that was thriving. He walked into a place with great tradition, with great passion, with great resources. But he took something that to me was not on the level of Florida, Florida State, Miami, in the early 2000s, late 90s. And he took it and he made it the only program that really, truly, consistently mattered for a 17-year period. You had to start every college football season. Every conversation had to start with Alabama. Since 2009, they started every single year in the top five of the AP preseason poll. So they, they started the conversation, and then I already told you where they finished. They finished the conversation. And Nick Saban did incredible things there as far as winning games. He also had a huge impact on the sport as far as, as, far as scheme goes. He's credited as, credited as, as one of the great defensive minds in the game. Uh, one of his scheme legacies is the, the pattern matching uh, pattern matching scheme with defensive backs that he does. That's something that you'll hear talked about all the time. That's Nick Saban. Um, you know, more than that though, his legacy to me is much like coach K on the basketball side. This is a guy who coached through many different eras and was able to adapt with the times each time and still continue to be successful. The Alabama team that won the national title in 2009 looks very, very different than the Alabama team that won the national championship in 2020. Completely different style of play. Uh, Lane Kiffin was a huge part of kind of innovating the Nick Saban offense, but Nick Saban was willing to innovate. He was willing to change. He was willing to go from more of a ground and pound style to a wide open 
spread offense because he knew he needed to do it to continue to be successful. He did a great job of continuously bringing in innovative coaches. He did a good job of bringing in coaches who had recently been fired. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian, a great example at, at Texas, brings uh, who's now at Texas, he brings him in. Uh, he as offensive coordinator, well, started as an analyst there, but eventually was the offensive coordinator. He then sends him on his way to Texas, and this year he takes Texas to the college ball playoff. He did a great job of of identifying talent both on the field and on the sidelines, and optimizing it and, and utilizing it the best way he could, and uh, helping a lot of coaches, you know, reach. Reach new heights. I mean, my favorite team, Maryland, Mike Loxley is a guy who went down to the Nick Saban finishing school, if you will. And uh, Loxley, he, he's a guy who, you know, thought that he had a good shot to get the Maryland head coaching job. Uh, he served as the interim coach at Maryland in 2015 and did not get the job after that season. He went down. He was an analyst at Alabama, uh, eventually the offensive coordinator there. And then he comes out of there and, and gets the, the Maryland job the second time around. And, you know, he he's a guy who has long been respected as an assistant coach and, and a great recruiter, but he had a really rough time as a head coach between 2009 and 2011 in New Mexico, uh, did not have a very successful tenure there. And him going down to Tuscaloosa really legitimized him and his ability to be a head coach for a lot of people in the industry. And uh, he's done a good job at Maryland. I mean, he's gotten Maryland to the to the best, I think, place it's been in in a very long time since the Ralph Friedgen era. So that's just an example of, you know, Nick Saban's ability to take a coach somebody with a lot of talent but uh somebody with a lot of talent identify it utilize that talent to to its maximum ability and then help that person go and and achieve another level uh often as a head coach so i think steve sarkeesian and mike loxley are two really good examples of that but saban was always adapting always changing and always focused on what would make his team successful. He did it in the BCS era. He did it in the four-team playoff era. He did it in the transfer portal era. He did it in the NIL era. He did it in all these different eras. He did it in the spread era. He did it in the nine to six ground and pound era. I mean, he he was the head coach of Alabama in that nine-six game against LSU, right? He did it in all these different eras. And I think that will be one of the things I, I always think about when I think about Alabama and Nick Saban and how successful he was, was just his ability to adapt and change. And I think that's what makes all the great coaches great. Now, there's an interesting side of Nick Saban that I think is worth exploring. And if you know anything about Nick Saban, it's you always hear about the process. You hear about him being a guy that is just a, addicted to football, addicted to work. Uh, he's very routine-based. He's process-based. And he kind of spawned this generation of coaches. You know, a lot of them worked under him that are that are a, a kind of the same way. And I just had this thought the other day 
because Steve Spurrier, who was at Florida for a long time and South Carolina for a long time, really good coach, really successful coach. He was kind of the opposite of Nick Saban in that way. He was a guy that liked to have a little bit more fun, like to uh, maybe have a a little bit more of a a work-life balance, if you will. But Saban operated his program like an absolute machine. And on one hand, that's certainly admirable. Um, I think in our society, we admire people who are dedicated to something, who want to be the best at something, who put in the work to be the best at something. But on the other hand, I think there's, there's something fun and probably healthier about an approach, <laughs> about an approach like Steve Spurrier's. And it's, it's interesting to see you know, what, what is that impact on college football, on the college ball coaching pr- profession? Do you need to be in your office 18 hours a day in order to win football games? Uh, Steve Spurrier would certainly tell you, you didn't, he'd say, that's not that hard. You go out there, throw the ball around, you have good players, and they, they win ball games. That's not what Nick Saban would tell you. And uh, I think it's, just, I, I think that's an interesting aspect of Nick Saban is, you know, his impact on the culture. And he's certainly not the first football coach who has spent 18 hours a day in the office and slept in his office and all of that. I mean, we've heard about it forever, but he is the one I feel like who his results, the results that he achieved made it even more popular to say, okay, there's only one way to do this thing. And you know what? I'm not sure there is only one way to do that, this thing. And I think Steve Spurrier, again, I'm going to come back to him, is a great example of, of maybe it doesn't always have to be like that. So I think we admire Nick Saban. We admire anybody who is so singularly focused and dedicated to their craft and approaches it in such a business-like process-oriented manner. And, and it spawned this whole generation of coaches who do the same thing. But I don't know that it's the only way. And I don't know that it's as much fun as if we would had a bunch of coaches like Steve Spurrier out there with big personalities who like talking to the media, like talking a little trash, like to go out and have a little fun, like to go out and play some golf. Uh, And that was a lot more, there were a lot more coaches like that. It felt like to me back in the late nineties, I think the eight, I mean, the eighties seemed like it was even crazier in regard to that. I wasn't around then, but it seemed like, Part of this is, you know, when you approach it in this manner, maybe you gotta you gotta push your personality down a little bit. Maybe you can't allow as much of your personality to come out because that's not process oriented. That's not singularly focused. So uh, that's an interesting aspect of the Nick Saban legacy for me. He is a guy who very much approached uh, running a football team like running a corporation. And I think college football has become very, very corporate. I mean, if you've listened to me at all, you know, I think college football is big business. And that's a huge reason why I think there needs to be a revenue share uh, between the players and the schools. Because at this point, this is a business. This is a job. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh recently has talked a lot about his desire to pay players to share revenue with the players and i would be really interested in nick saban's perspective on that i'd also be really interested in nick saban's thoughts on a lot of things around the 
broader broader college football. And you know, we've talked so long about having a college football play, a college ball commissioner, a college football czar, if you will. And Nick Saban seems like a guy who, if he's not the guy to necessarily be that commissioner, I think he's a guy who I'd, I'd really like to hear more of his perspective now that he's no longer running a football team. Uh, this is a guy who was at the very, very, very top of the game for a long time. And I'd like to hear his perspective on how he thinks this whole thing should run. And, and probably somebody who, if we ever did get a college ball commissioner, should certainly be in the running or at least be somebody that that person consults on a daily basis. Or daily basis is probably strong, but it, that somebody who that person consults, who has input, who can impact the game. Um, because nobody has has achieved at a higher level than he is. But I don't even know his stances on a lot of things, truly. So I, I'd just be interested in even hearing them to begin with. I guess I should say I'd be interested in hearing his stances before I say he should be going and running the whole sport. Uh, but he does feel like a guy. Nick Saban does feel like somebody who cares about the sport of college football and would have its best interest at heart. So let's just start with, I would love to hear some of his thoughts on things. And if you're, again, a longtime listener, you know me, I really think there's there's a need for this to be a more centralized sport. Uh, so that's it. Nick Saban retires. Nick Saban is done at Alabama uh, that, of course, is is what he will be remembered for, that 17-year run at Alabama. Uh, it's it's a, a run that I do not think ha- has ever been matched. And if there's anything that has come close to it, there's never nobody else has done it in an era like this one where it is so competitive. Again, I will read you his record, his SEC record over 17 years at Alabama. Again, 121 and 18 in the best conference, deepest conference, year in and year out in America. It's an unbelievable accomplishment. It's been an unbelievable career for Nick Saban. And uh, we will always, always remember what he accomplished there. Now, Alabama has to go and hire a new coach. That's what's next. Somebody has to go and fill those shoes. And very likely, it looks like it's going to be Kalen DeBoer uh, 10 minutes ago. So uh, right now, it's 3.40 p.m. Eastern time. Brett McMurphy of Action Network reports that Kalen DeBoer agrees to a deal at Alabama uh, per a source. Looks like it was first reported by Chris Lowe of ESPN. And... uh, Adam Rittenberg says there is going to be a staff meeting with the Washington staff, Kalen DeBoer's staff at Washington for at 115 Pacific time, 415 Eastern time. So uh, seems very likely that when you hear this, Kalen DeBoer will officially be Washington or Alabama's head coach. And if he's not, then something uh, looks like it has gone terribly, terribly wrong. So let's work under the assumption that Kalen DeBoer is going to be Alabama's next head coach. And wow, what a rise for Kalen DeBoer. In 2019, let's take one step back. Let's take actually a couple steps back. This is a guy who started his coaching career at Sioux Falls as a wide receiver coach in 1997. And then from there, he worked his way up the ranks, kind of 
bopping around lower levels of college football. He broke into the the FBS as uh, the OC and quarterbacks coach at Eastern Michigan in 2014, eventually ended up at Fresno State as the OC and quarterbacks coach uh, in 2017. And in 2019, he had his first power five job at Indiana as the OC and quarterbacks coach And Indiana, not a shot at Indiana. This is just a, a fact. Indiana is in the bottom 10% of power five jobs. You can have it's, it just is. Indiana is a basketball school that has had fleeting football success. And it's not like this is a guy like Kirby Smart, for example, who played at Georgia, who you know has that SEC pedigree, who was a defensive coordinator under Nick Saban, uh, who's been in the SEC basically all his life. No, this is a guy who has come up through a very unique path, through the lowest levels of the sport. And even when he got a power five job as a coordinator, it was at the lowest part of the, or one of the lower schools in the power five. And now he he then goes to the Fresno state as the head coach goes to Washington as the head coach. And now a week after, not even a week after losing to Michigan in the national championship game, it appears very likely that Kalen DeBoer will be Alabama's next head coach. And I think it's an incredible journey, an incredible path, and it's a really cool thing to see because you don't see a lot of journeys like it. Now, will this work? I have no idea. Kalen DeBoer is a guy that has been successful everywhere he has been. No doubt about it. But it's almost impossible to follow up Nick Saban and what he did. Uh, you just heard the stats. I just read you what he did. I told you about his run. It, it was an unbelievable run. And Kalen DeBoer has, has done well everywhere he's been. He just took Washington to a national championship game. They won, I think, 21 games in a row over the last two seasons. Uh. And certainly Alabama is a more well-resourced program than either Washington or Fresno State, certainly. But it's also a program with much, much higher expectations. And I think it's entirely possible that Kalen DeBoer will do well there. I think it's very clear he's a good football coach. He's a good offensive mind. But it's going to come down to, you know, at the end of the day, this is a talent acquisition business. Being a head coach in the SEC, being the head coach at Alabama, being the head coach of a program whose only goal every year is to win the national championship, it comes down to how well you can acquire talent. And he certainly did a very good job of it uh, at Washington, uh, uh, acquiring Michael Penix as the quarterback. That was a great job of talent acquisition. He's gotten some some really talented wide receivers there. But it's not like in his two years there, they were recruiting at an elite level. In fact, if they had won the national championship this year, they would have been outside of that blue chip ratio, which has long been viewed as kind of the minimum requirement for winning a national championship, which means at least half of your roster or at least half of the players you've signed over the last four years have been four and five star talents. That That's not Washington, but that's not necessarily how Washington 
the kind of program that Washington is. Washington is a different program than Alabama. So I think that's going to be a question, and it's going to be a question of how well he embraces NIL, how well he embraces the culture of talent acquisition, how well he staffs at Alabama. Uh, so I, it's impossible for me to sit here and say, yes, he will be successful or no, he won't. This is a A or this is a D or this is a B plus. I don't know. What I can tell you is this is a man who has been successful essentially everywhere he's been. This is a very well-resourced program in Alabama, but it's also a job that comes with an incredible amount of pressure. So I cannot, I, I just don't have it in me to sit here and say, this will be a success or this will be a failure. I do not know. We are going to have to wait and see, but it's going to be very, very interesting to watch. Now, if Kalen DeBoer does become the head coach at Alabama, that means there's going to be an opening at Washington. And Washington, for unfortunately for them, I mean, it comes at an absolutely terrible time because they have been riding high. They just finished playing in the national championship game. They had a dream season. And now, the, as they head into the Big Ten, coming off a, a fantastic year where they should have all the momentum in the world, they are going to have to start over with a new head coach. And it's interesting because Washington is a program that has had peaks and valleys over the years. They've had very high highs, winning a national championship in the 90s, going to the national championship game this season, and they've had very low lows. They went 0-12 in 2008. They rebounded under Chris Peterson. They had a great run under Chris Peterson. They went to the college ball playoff, and Jimmy Lake takes over, and they have a, a very poor couple of seasons between 2020 and 2021. Then Kalen DeBoer comes in, and they have a fantastic two years. So it's a program that has, has experienced high highs and low lows. It has good access to talent, certainly. Being there on the West Coast can dip into California. Uh, it's a unique setup with, with it being a school in the city, a campus in the city. It's a, a city school. It provides a, a, a different college experience. Uh, so it's a, it's a cool option when recruiting, it has a really good fan base, uh, rabid fan base. We saw them pack that stadium this year, create a really cool, intense home field advantage, especially in that Oregon game. But it's no guarantee, especially moving into the Big Ten, they're not guaranteed to be complete competing for a college ball playoff spot every single year. And it's an unfortunate time to have to be starting over if you're Washington. So I haven't really seen any list on who Washington, you know, might go after. Uh, one name that has popped up is Pete Carroll. <laughs> it is Pete Carroll, who of course was in Seattle for many, many years as the Seattle Seahawks coach, won Super Bowls there. He's also been a, a West Coast college football coach, winning national, winning national titles. Is it multiple national titles or just one national title? Uh, I think they claim that one. It wasn't a BCS. They have certainly one BCS title, Pete Carroll in USC, but uh, and then they claim another one during his his run there, I believe. Uh, but either way, a national title winning coach at. Uh, at USC 
I mean, that's a name that has popped up right away. I have no idea if Pete Carroll would is it be interested in coaching college football again he's 72 years old uh so who knows but that is a name that has popped up as far as other names i mean if you look at you know where where did they go last time where did washington go last time when they hired kalen DeBoer? well they looked at the mountain west and they they went out and they got a mountain west head coach they kind of dipped down a level for a sitting head coach so I don't know, do they do that again? Or do they have a guy? They have a guy in Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, who um, is a very hot name. Maybe they end up making him the the head coach. You know, he's not a he's not a a super old guy. He's a pretty, pretty young guy there. Um doesn't have a he follows a very similar path as Kalen DeBoer. He's been with Kalen DeBoer for a long time. So maybe they turn to him and make him the head coach. I don't know, but this is a, a critical hire for Washington. And uh it's unfortunate for them that this is all happening at this time where they can you really use some stability going in to the big 10 so that's it that overtook our show today for sure because the greatest college football coach of all time retired and we got to talk about it we got to talk about one of the uh prestige programs in college ball making a hire and uh then a team that just played in the national championship game potentially losing their head coach so uh, that was not what I intended to necessarily talk about this week. I wanted to get into a little bit of hoops, but this is this is really the overarching topic of the week, uh, the thing that everybody is talking about. I will leave you with a couple college basketball picks here for Saturday. I got three games, uh, three bets that I put in for Saturday right now, and I'm going to start at the noontime slot. I have North Carolina minus 12 and a half against Syracuse and North Carolina is a program that has been playing really, really well recently. The the ACC looks like it's kind of a two team league at this point with Duke and North Carolina and a huge gap between those two tobacco road schools and everybody else. Uh, Carolina comes into this game on a five game winning streak. They're four and zero in the ACC. They were just beaten NC state by 13 on the road. Before that they beat Clemson by 10 on the road. And before that they beat Pitt by 13 on a, on the road. They come home to the Dean dome where they host Syracuse. And what's really impressed me about North Carolina is what they've been doing on the defensive end recently. They're number eight, eight in in defensive efficiency in Ken Palm. And that's a huge difference from last year where they were 46. That was a a weakness for them last year. Uh, They've turned that into the, into a strength. RJ Davis, their point guard uh, has been playing really well as of late. Uh, I think that's been a a big boon for them. The way that he's been playing, Uh, he is top 10 in the Ken Palm player of the year standings right now. He's been a guy that has been doing a little bit of, of of everything for them, and they've been playing really good basketball right now. I like them to cover at home minus 12 and a half. I'm going to stick in the ACC for my next game, and I'm going to take Wake Forest minus five as a home favorite against Virginia. Virginia 
when it comes to playing in road and neutral environments is not very good. They are, in fact, downright bad. They're two and four on the year in home and neutral in road and neutral games, and they're only scoring 96.6 points per 100 possessions. That's good for 297th out of 362 teams. And that's, again, only on road and neutral games. They are a completely different team on the road, even on defense. They're giving up 103 points for 100 possessions uh, in those types of games on defense as well. This is a Virginia program that really since winning the national title, I feel like they've coasted to some extent on that reputation. Not that Tony Bennett isn't trying to get them back, not that he doesn't want to get back to that point, but they have not been, at least in the minds of, of, of the fan, I think a lot of people still think about UVA as that 2019 UVA team that won the national championship. That is not what this program has been since then. You look at the years since then, since 2019, of course, 2020, there was no NCAA tournament, but 2021, they make the NCAA tournament as a four seed, get upset in the first round. They don't make it at all in 2022. They make it in 2023, lose in the first round. They haven't had, they've they've had since that national title year, they've had just one year where the adjusted offensive efficiency has been in the Ken Palm top 50. That was in 2021, they were number 17. But outside of that, they were 234th in 2020. They were 17th in 2021, 85th in 2022, 72nd in 2023. And this year they are 125th. I don't like UVA on the road. I think they're still coasting on their reputation a little bit. I think people see Virginia and they say, okay, yeah, Virginia, that's a that's a national title program. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I like Steve Forbes' team at Wake Forest. Give me Wake minus five in that game. And then I'll finish up with one more. Give me Oklahoma plus five and a half going on the road to Kansas. This is a place where Oklahoma has not won in a very, very long time. But if there's one thing I, I, I've, seen with Kansas this year it's that they're going to play close games they play a ton of close games they're coming off a loss to UCF on the road Oklahoma also coming off a road loss TCU both teams are going to be hungry for a win in this one I expect it to be close we've seen Kansas Kansas's strength is really its defense and the fact that it has four very, very good players. They are struggling with depth, and they are struggling to shoot the ball. Uh, Oklahoma is a really good defensive team under Porter Moser. I think they keep this one close, uh, so I'll take the road dog here. Give me Oklahoma plus five and a half. That's our show for today. I will be back next week to uh, talk a little bit about the weekend in college basketball. Uh, definitely talk about the coaching carousel in college football as it continues because it seems like uh, we're not done quite yet. And then look ahead to some more college basketball games next week as we are deep into conference play. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. <laughs> <laughs>